Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording not so live from my Brooklyn bunker. Folks, you know, I want to start off today's show with making a very declarative statement, which is this. Republicans are working to destabilize America. Full stop. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are working in concert with them to destabilize America. I believe that both sets, right, these two quote-unquote Democratic senators and the bullshit Republican insurrectionists, have the same goal, recognize the same problem. And instead of addressing it head on, they're just in it to get there. So here's the problem. The problem is that America has a lot that is fucking wrong, right? Our climate crisis is not impending. It is here. Our voter suppression crisis, the crisis of our democracy, is not something that is future, uh, thought to be happening in the future. It is happening now. The assault, the attack on uteruses is happening. Um, now, which you will hear from our friend, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, we are facing a aggressive Supreme Court who is hell-bent on turning America into the wild, wild west while marauding as if they give a fuck about actual Second Amendment rights, it really just is part of the grand scheme. Destabilize America. Because our problems are so big and so vast, and you know that Republicans have no fucking plans, right? I, I bring this up all the time, that remember, 
during the 2020 election, the RNC did not offer up what their platform was. You cannot go to the RNC's page right now and pull up their platform or agenda. They were like, oh, just rock with what we had in 2016 as if nothing in the world has changed during that time. Oh, mind you, in my list of things that I said was wrong, global health pandemic, but that goes without saying these days. What I recognize about these people who were elected to be representative voices for their constituents is that they're looking at all of these fires, both literal and figuratively, that are in the country right now, and they're saying, this would take a lot of work, it would take a lot of thought and strategy and policy thinking and writing, and you know, at the end of the day, I don't really want all Americans to succeed. At the end of the day, I really want to make sure that I don't go to hell in a handbasket along with the country. I want to make sure that I get mine. 11th Films, who has been an extraordinary arm, I think very much underutilized by the Democrats, the DNC, the DCCC, the DSCC, in terms of targeting their messaging. But 11th Films put out a two-minute clip. I retweeted it yesterday um, with regard to Joe Manchin and how much money Joe Manchin has made, how much money Joe Manchin's children have made, how much money Joe Manchin's wife has made. And then they put that in parallel, in comparison to how fucking poor West Virginia is. Did you know that Joe Manchin has been representing West Virginia in some form or fashion for 40 years? Do you also know that West Virginia is at the bottom in most things that you would equate to a successful industrialized country and state that West Virginia is, I think, 47 or 46 in education, 47, 46 in healthcare, um, in income. They are at the bottom of every fucking societal rung. And yet Joe Manchin, right? I think, I think that they were talking about in this film that the average income, right, of people in West Virginia is somewhere around like twenty-eight or thirty thousand dollars a year. Meanwhile, Joe Manchin is worth about eight million. And here's the thing: is that his paycheck is not where Joe Manchin has made his money. So this is what we all have to understand here: is that Joe Manchin, as a senator, makes a salary, which is open. If you go into Open Secrets, you can see every member's salary. Um, it's the point of transparency. But what they don't tell you when they go to Open Secrets is that this is only a portion of what your member is bringing in that is covered under ethics. Joe Manchin makes $184,500 a year as senator. But that's not where Joe Manchin gets a bulk of his money. A bulk of his money comes from his son's energy company 
the family energy company. I put that in air quotes and I say it with disdain because what is their energy company about? It's not about clean energy. It's not about wind energy or solar. It's not about anything that has to do with the future of preventing climate change. No, their energy comes from coal. Joe Manchin makes probably about, I think in the film, and you, you guys check me in the comment section if I'm wrong, but close to half a million dollars a year that he's bringing in from his son's energy company. His wife is bringing in uh, a little over 600000 His daughter, um, who also has some type of role in that company, was also in pharmaceuticals where she upped the price of the EpiPen, which, you know, people need for life or death by 600%. Um, you know, she was one of those people in the pharmaceutical world that were brought before Congress because how did you decide to increase the life-saving drug by 600% in one year, put that money in your pocket, in your shareholders' pockets, and think that nobody was going to notice or do anything about it? This, con this family is so fucking shady. And has their hands in so many of the wrong pockets, big coal and big pharma. So is it anyone's surprise then that Joe Manchin is systematically cherry picking out the measures in the infrastructure bill that would allude to anything that deals with climate change head on, that he would systematically work against giving companies um, strategic timelines for when they have to change over their businesses into cleaner practices, because not for anything other than the fact that it would hurt his bottom line. It would hurt his pocket. So you see, when you start to follow the money, as I've been saying on this show, as I've been saying on any show that will have me on and on Twitter, when you start to follow the money, you become very aware of who Joe Manchin is actually representing in the Senate, who Kirsten Cinema is representing in the Senate. Now, you see, we already know what Republicans are doing, right? Like their mission is power and power for absolute power's sake. Because once they get power, which they will most likely get back in the House and most likely get back in the Senate, they're going to blow up the rules. They're going to do whatever they can to make the final years of uh, Joe Biden's administration hell on earth. And then when they put in their Manchurian candidate, who will either be Trump or Trump light, um, they're going to finish the job, right? You remember Mortal Kombat where they were like, finish them. That's what the Republicans are doing to our democracy. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema know that to be true. And instead of using their power to progress the nation and safeguard us against fascism, against authoritarianism, against an uneven uh, and imbalanced capitalistic structure, instead of using their power and their leverage to add more elements into legislation to caretake 
for this country's well-being for future generations, they're deciding, nah, I'm going to get mine now. The 11th film lays out bare that Joe Manchin is not representing the people of West Virginia. And the people of West Virginia are too fucking underwater in debt, in undereducation, in joblessness, in health disparities, that you think that they have the time and the wherewithal to be able to look and see that this motherfucker who has 40 years of name recognition hasn't done dick for their state. Four decades. Four fucking decades. And what does West Virginia have to show for Joe Manchin's quote-unquote leadership? So we look at these people and we say, oh, they have a D by their name. So that means that somehow they're Democrats. And at the end of the day, no, the fuck they are not. They are shucking and jiving and pimping and hoeing themselves out to the highest fucking bidder. Things went wrong in politics when we allowed an exorbitant amount of money to flow through. When you have things like Open Secret that will tell us about the salary that these members of Congress are taking from their constituents, from us, the taxpayers. But we don't also follow the money to see who else they're taking money from. And when you see that their interests, their own personal interests, outweigh that of their constituents because they're like, oh, you don't pay me to care. What Joe Manchin is doing right now isn't about fucking West Virginia. He could give a fuck. He's on a $700,000 yacht. Okay? Literally. He don't care. Kirsten Cinema, you think she gives a fuck about the people of Arizona when that bitch is fundraising in Europe? Those aren't your constituents. Right? In the middle of deals that would either better or destroy our country, that bitch got on a fucking flight to go to some fancy dinners and put more money in her pocket and ain't nobody calling her out on it? You know the saying that it, 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 it's sometimes it's your own people? Yeah. Don't give me the bullshit line about Democrats having a big tent and, you know, how Joe Biden entertained progressives at the White House the other day as if progressives are the fucking problem. You can't even get Kirsten Cinema to fucking show up at the White House. You're sending staff to her fucking office. What about the optics on that? I tell you, today, Jonathan and I are going to get into a very deep conversation where we actually don't agree. But what we do agree on is that this next slate of cases before the Supreme Court is putting the final nail in the coffin of America. That is not hyperbole. It is not me um, being very passionate for, you know, for shit sakes. No, no, it is the fucking truth. When you take away women's rights, when you take away the people's voice, when you then turn around and with these same disgruntled, angry, disengaged citizens, then decide that you're going to arm every single one of them because you're going to erode 100-year-old laws that are on the book that would protect 
places like New York, LA, Boston, Miami from reckless, reckless fucking gun laws. When you decide that through the Trump administration, you appointed not one, not two, but three A-rated NRA justices. When you have decided to put not one, not 200, but 300 federal judges on the bench that also have A ratings with the NRA, A ratings with evangelical Christian groups, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? America is preparing for war. White America is fucking armed to the gills. They literally have all of the power and they are about to wield it in some of the ways that we'd only seen in history books. Jonathan says something that is still ringing around in my head in our interview. He said that 100-year-old laws are up for grabs, then everything is up for grabs. That means Plessy versus Ferguson, Brown versus the Board of Education. That means every single right. That means marriage equality. That means every single thing that you thought was decided because the Supreme Court decided it, and so it is, quote unquote, the law of the land. Well, they are showing you right now that mm, that shit is kind of temporary until you get the right justices and the right nefarious fucking Republicans to do your bidding that it doesn't matter if it took them 30 years to get back here, they are back and with a fucking vengeance. And the question that I have is, what the fuck are we going to do about it? Because I'm telling you, they're not going down without a fight and neither should we. Coming up next, dear friends, is my Woke Wednesday conversation with our friend, Dr. Jonathan Metzl. Folks, as always, on Wednesdays, I am so happy to be joined by our in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, author of Dying of Whiteness, um, to talk about usually uh, over the past couple of months, it has been a mix of COVID, more COVID than guns. But there is a case that Jonathan has been referencing coming up to be heard at the Supreme Court on November 3rd. And in his latest piece for the Boston Review, the Supreme Court is poised to put politics ahead of gun violence. New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin may give the right and its politics of racial resentment a major win, but at the cost of gun control laws known to prevent shootings. Jonathan, let's just dive in. Um, why is it so important right now to bring attention to this case that is coming up in the, you know, in the next few weeks? Why is it important that all eyes should be on this Bruin case? Well, New York's had a licensing law in place for since 1913, over 100 years. And part of why that's important, excuse me, is that um, it's been largely effective, right? In other words, like um, in, in the city of New York, particularly, um, not everyone who wants to get a gun can go get a gun. You have to show a special, a special reason for getting a gun. Like you have a risky job or you're being stalked by an ex-partner or something like that. So you go to the process and you get a license, but the NRA and pro-gun politicians have for quite a long time been eyeing New York. In other words, if they could open up the gun market in New York, um, 
everybody would be buy guns. It would destabilize New York, all these factors. And so they've had an eye on this policy for quite some time, um, but they never had the Supreme Court to be able to overturn it because it's just total horseshit, to be honest. Like, of course, you want to be able to regulate guns in New York, because even if people want, can carry guns in, you know, for protection in, in reasons that they can prove, you don't want people carrying guns in the subway or drunk tourists carrying guns, Times Square, New Year's Eve and stuff like that. And so finally, they have a Supreme Court that's going to side with them, I think, um, and say, basically, their argument is the Second Amendment should be as protected as the First Amendment, just like you can have free speech anywhere, even though you really can't. Um, you should be able to carry guns anywhere. And so this is a huge risk to New York, but not just New York, to other blue cities like Los Angeles, Boston, um, San Francisco, that have historically regulated guns in public as a matter of public, public safety. So just the long and the short of it, and I hope people get to read my piece, people really need to pay attention because this is one of those cases that could dramatically change the way we live and die, particularly in blue America. You know, I am so scared and I am wondering why everyone else isn't. And, you know, what is it, Jonathan? I mean, you wrote this long form explosive, historical, thoughtful piece. Folks, and I, again, I will tell you the title of it, and it's at the Boston Review, is the Supreme Court is poised to put politics ahead of gun violence prevention. The implications of this are so far reaching, like just listening to you say, well, essentially, if a over 100-year-old law is up for grabs, then you need to understand that everything is up for grabs. Should that be the narrative that is coming out of this White House? Why do you feel like they are, I, I, I feel like their heads are in the sand. Like, I, 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 I just don't understand why there is no alarms going off right now. I, I think there is alarm. I just don't think they can be quite public about it. I mean, the issue in part I mean, I do ask myself very often, what would Donald Trump have done <laughs> if he was handed this card? I mean, he would have overturned the filibuster in five seconds, honestly, and just done done his thing. But I can say that there, we see like like in the case of guns, for example, um, Trump, uh, uh, Biden tried to put in uh, as the head of the ATF, somebody who was a strong proponent of gun violence prevention, and he couldn't get the support within his own party. Uh, we're seeing now with the budget negotiations. So I think in a, in a way, if you're just going the traditional route, Biden's hands are tied in a way because he doesn't have the votes to do any of the things he wants. The problem is we're playing by the rules and the other side isn't. And so, you know, if the Republicans were in our hands, in our position, they would have gone nuclear by now, no doubt about it. Um, and so part of the issue is we're trying to fix things within the system. And within the system, the Biden administration, unfortunately, doesn't have the votes. And it's it's about to get a bit more extreme with, with the 2022 election. And so, again, the issue is, um, you know, who, I don't know. I, I don't know. Everybody read my piece and tell me what the answer is. <laughs> I mean, the answer to me is... Unless this administration, which we know that they won't, makes a concerted pivot 
and says, you know, sometimes as, you know, to quote the late, great John Lewis, you need to make good trouble. And sometimes the laws that are in place are the wrong fucking laws. And you need to be able to understand that sometimes you need to operate outside of that. And, and know that justice is on your side, right? And that at the end of the day, when and if history books are ever written, right, that this is what they will say is that like, sometimes you have to go to war, right? Like this is, this, this is, this is that moment. It's like you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head. Democrats are operating in, operating inside of a system that no longer exists. Republicans blew it up five years ago. So if they are literally showing you their hand, women's rights are on the table. Gun laws are on the table. Climate change is on the table. Voting rights is on the table. School desegregation is on the table. If they're showing you their hand and you're still operating in quote unquote good faith, then who is the dummy here? I mean, of course, I agree with you. And that's part of why I wrote this piece. But the issue is even the argument, the way my mind works is like there's one side and the other side. It's probably a vestige of like, some evolutionary screw up or something like that. But I think the, the way, look, I mean, guns is such an interesting case, right? Because it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to make you have guns and there's pro-gun side and anti-gun side. What they did is they, they totally overturned the gun control side through a pretty intense process of getting liberals to own guns. Like over the last year, liberal gun owners have gone up 40%. Um, black gun owners have gone up, you know, 50% or something like that. I have all the data in the piece. And so what they've done is not just, you know, the kind of top down narrative, but they've also figured out a way to like muddy up the waters in a certain kind of way. So nobody knows quite what side they're on. And guns is a perfect example of this. Now there are tons of black Americans because of this very targeted and follow the links in my piece. You'll see very targeted, very conscious effort to tell people, oh, you see what happened to George Floyd? Well, that means you have to be armed because the police aren't going to protect you. Like they're very good at like you know, undermining even things. So then when Biden comes in and he's like, oh, we need gun control. The people are like, no, I need a gun to protect myself from the police. So in a way, they're very good at marketing to our side also. It's not just marketing to their own people. And I've been saying since the election that that's in in a less nefarious way, that's what we need to be doing. Like when we were protecting the Affordable Care Act, we should have been putting Republicans on the defensive, like having their own, targeting their own base and saying, Hey, why isn't your person giving you health care or something like that? But we never do that. It's all about virtue signaling for our own side. And the reality is, is that while, yes, I agree with you in terms of the marketing that is done and that they are incredibly savvy, reality is also a good marketer too. The fact is, is that I was one of those people and am one of those black people that are just like, you know what? They're going to try and kill us, right? Like they are doing it every day. And it is only through the grace of God that we don't see more headlines every day of another unarmed black person that was hunted, that was killed in a street like a fucking animal. And frankly, like in saying we know that the cops don't protect us, they never have. Right. It was one of the reasons why the Black Panthers, along with creating food programs and literacy programs, were like, you need to exercise your Second Amendment rights. This is not new, because the fact is, is that when we're talking about there being over close to 400 million guns in the in the United States, a majority of them are not owned by people of color. Right. 
And so when you start to look at the numbers and realize that you're already being hunted, then it is, then who are, what what are you going to, you're going to sit around and say, oh no, we're going to march this out. No, you're not. Because at some point in time, that's not what is going to work. Right. But I mean, it's funny because this is the book I'm writing right now is that on one hand, it's like, well, they have guns and guns have been so constructed as a vestige of white authority that um, it's like, well, if you have a gun, I want a gun. And so that makes sense, right? That makes emotional sense. And, and I understand that position, but I also think it's a very dangerous slippery slope for a couple of reasons. One is, trust me, American society is never going to let, um, it's never going to be a fair fight. <laughs> I'll say that white America is always going to be better armed in, in every way possible. The system is built that way. And so um, a bunch of any group of people running out and getting um, arms, it's not going to overturn the system. It's not going to solve systemic oppression. That's, that's kind of the point I get to in my piece is there's an emotional pull of doing that. On one hand, it makes sense, right? You feel like the other side has guns, why don't we? But you're also playing right into the hands of the gun manufacturers and the gun sellers. Um, you're also opening up the door for all these other unintended consequences, like in places like Tennessee, where I am right now, um, opening up gun rights has also led to more aggressive policing, um, incarceration for all these other kinds of crimes that are almost over, overwhelmingly Black Americans, like you know, gun theft and gun whatever and stuff like that, um, uh, that that are getting charged, um, and it's and it's in a way um, justifying um, you know white flight, unequal tax bases, all these other unintended consequences of middle militarization. So I guess the hard harder question is, how do you resist that narrative? Right? It's not just like oh you have guns, I'm going to run to get guns. Um, you actually have to think. What's another answer other than running out to get guns? Because I just really worry that if everybody's got guns, we're just going to have the same problems of structural racism. It's just that the stakes are going to be a lot more lethal. And the funny thing is, is that I never play devil's advocate and not with you and very rarely on the show. But the reality is, is that for black people and people of color, the stakes have always been high and our lives have always been on the line and our blood has always been the one that has been spilled in the streets. And so we know that the system is rigged against us. We know that we are going to be outgunned and outmaneuvered, outmaneuvered and outpowered. And at the end of the day, when we're marching steadily towards this apocalyptic present, it's like, do you want to go out on your feet or do you want to go out on your knees? And I'm telling you that there are many people that are moving in the direction of, I'd rather go out on my feet. Don't, because you, don't, if it, don't you start packing on me. You know? I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, look, I am just look, offering I mean, look, like I, the other I, I, side. I, just, I know we're out of time, but I would just ask people to read the piece because there's a long history of who gets to carry a gun in public. And so um, there's, there's a history of race here. That's just really, really important to remember that the minute black people start carrying guns in public, that's what led to the clan night rides, for example, that mm-hmm. led to all these other factors. And so I just, I would urge people to look at places where there are equal open carry rights, like here in Tennessee, um, and see that the effect is more inequity, more racism, not less, um, because it leads to all these other unintended consequences, like, um, white flight, unequal tax bases, worse education, all the other kind of things. And so in a way, I understand that urge and, and 
and just to be very clear, the article is about carrying guns in public. It's not about guns, gun ownership. That's what right, that's what's right, right. right now. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to see, but I, but I would just say, you know, if, if, um, but if you get, if you start, if you start carrying, I'll just hide behind you. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for me today. Make sure to tune in at 3.30 p.m. Eastern for Woke Wednesdays where I'm going in on that motherfucker Joe Mansion. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.